Hey, DJ Flook here from Stadium Scenes Main Event. Networking has become more important than ever, so why are you still carrying around paper business cards that end up lost or in the trash? Our friends at Link have created a solution to that problem by getting your contact info directly into that person's phone with a simple tap from your plastic business card, a bracelet, or even an Apple Watch band. When it's time to update your contact info, make the change in their easy-to-use networking app. For listeners of Stadium Scenes Made Event, you can save 15% by typing in promo code StadiumScene, that's all one word, at checkout. To learn more, visit linkapp.com. That's L I N Q A P P.com. There's a lot of people in the sports world nowadays athletes, media personalities, bloggers, podcasters, video producers, influencers all with amazing stories to share about how they got to where they are today and where they're going tomorrow. I'm DJ Fluke, and along with my partners, Kate Thompson. I'm sorry, I didn't go to a college that has football teams, so sometimes I space out. And Jillian Fisher. Hey! Oh my gosh, I alerted my pug, and he's like, oh no, don't bark, please don't bark. We're here to share those stories in something we like to call StadiumScene.tv's main event. Hey, before we get started, this episode was also recorded as a video, which is available on YouTube via the description of this podcast episode. Otherwise, enjoy the show. Still wish Zoom would, uh, you know, change that audio clip to say it's recorded to make it not sound like an AM radio. That is... Uh... So it kind of weirds me out, but I mean, I guess it's it's important to notify people that they're being recorded. So, yeah, it didn't catch me off guard this time. Well, no, well, you actually knew it was coming, but it's uh, it's we're recording this on a Sunday morning. It's um, seven a.m., so this is coffee, and not beer, for once for me. Oh, I have coffee too. Oh, there you go. So Kate's drinking her coffee. I'm drinking my coffee, and as you can see, we have a guest here with us today. So our guest is currently the assistant swimming and diving coach at Olivet College in Olivet, Michigan, which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, is outside of, of Lansing in the, the middle part of the state. So yeah, we're about 30 minutes south. So there it's like go. here? Uh, pretty much. <laughs> there you go, the, the, the glove. So Yeah, I'm still getting used to all that. Been out here two years now. So. so please welcome to the show, Coach Eric Richardson. Eric, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So... We were talking before we recorded, so with this summer being the rescheduled Summer Olympics, America's interest in swimming seems to peak during Olympics time. Uh, so we figured that would be a good time to bring somebody on who, who's an expert in the, the field of competitive swimming, um, who's actually done some, some work with, uh, you know, been with, worked a little bit with USA Swimming in the past, kind of has an insight into, you know, the training and, and what it takes to, to be a competitive swimmer. So Eric... My notes are correct here. You swam in college. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the process, what you, you know, you went through to get recruited and, and you know, what that college experience was like? Yeah, I swam at the University of Evansville. It's a small D1 school. Um, you know, the process I went through is so much different than what it is now. Because I spent time looking at schools and their meet results and looking them up online and trying to figure out if a school had a swim team and really trying to just reach out to coaches and 
it worked out that coach at Evansville is interested, visited the school, really enjoyed it. What really helped is I had family in the area. So my aunt and uncle and cousin lived there. So I had that right there and really turned out to be a lot of fun, you know, just everything I got to do between the travel, the meets, hanging out with teammates and just going through the whole process, you know, days weren't always easy, but it was really enjoyable just being able to get the workout, but also getting that competition and just seeing something different and just the experiences that it afforded me. And as I said, it's a lot different now. There's so many different websites and recruiting um, companies, recruiting websites that we get to look into now. And it's easy to connect with people all over the country and world, literally. So when you, you said you swam at a, a smaller school, did, you know, I guess, how was the, the level of competition there? Um, you know, with, with Evansville being in Southern Indiana, you know, Indiana University's known as a pretty competitive swimming school just up North. I mean, did you see a high level of competition? Have you seen anybody kind of, you know, they, do you recall anybody you swam against or even with that, um, you know, took it to the next level, you, you know, Olympic trials, et cetera? Um, you know, we weren't in the same ballpark. Well, I don't want to say it like that, but we're just, our goals were different than like a Indiana University. We were looking more at just to swim in well and fast within our conference. And if we dig in CAA qualifiers, you know, that'd be great. My time there, we didn't have that. But within our conference itself, we started in the Missouri Valley on the guys' side. But we only had three teams, so we invited a, another school, and we ended up moving into the Sun Belt um, when I was there. And there were swimmers that were qualifying, at least with B cuts for the NCAAs. This is the way it works. There's A cuts and B cuts. On the A, you're probably going to be like one of those top three, top five swimmers in the country. So it's basically an automatic where a B cut is going to give you the potential to be invited. So we had swimmers that were achieving those times. So even though we were at a small school and I know by no means was I anywhere close to qualifying for big meets like that, but the level of competition was still just tremendous. You could just watching what the guys and girls were doing was like, wow, that's just so much fun to watch. So, Kate, I'm going to turn it over. What do you got? Okay. So you mentioned there's differences um, between when you were recruited and now, how about like D1 versus D3? I went to a D3 school and I know like they were, constantly like hey you like the sport come on um froze up just a little bit so i just want to make sure i caught the question uh oh we lost kate so we were talking a little bit about recruiting is different between the path can you elaborate a little bit about oh, how well. what thought we lost you again for a second. <laughs> okay, sorry, go ahead. Can you tell us a little bit about how recruiting between like D1 and D3 schools is different? 
you know, I'm in my second year of college coaching, so I'm still definitely learning. I spent 11 years with club and high school. So I don't know if I'd say I'm an expert yet. I'm still just trying to pick up as much as I can, but you know, there's big differences in D1 and D2. There's athletic scholarships and D3. There's not, you get the academic scholarships um, and maybe some other types of merit awards. So that alone right there is creating a really big difference. Um, you get those topping kids that, are like, you know, I want to get money to swim. Where Division three, the one of the big reasons it was even set up was to place academics first, to give somebody the one set opportunity to participate in college athletics, but their main focus is a college degree. That's what there is, because we get limited on season of like number of weeks um, or days as this past year was versus, well, you're D1, you can go whenever you want. So that does create a little bit of a difference, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's just all about finding that right fit. Does the school offer everything that that student athlete is looking for? Are they going to have the opportunities that they want? Um, some kids, obviously, they want to be Division One. They want to qualify for NCAAs and get a national championship. Others, you know, they may take that opportunity where they have an op um, chance to be a NCAA D3 All-American. Um, so it's just about finding that right fit and really of what it all comes down to. So, so coach, I have, I have a question for you. Um, do you remember the, uh, when it was the, the first time we met? You know, it's actually, you can tell him no. All right. Um, what was it? Maybe sitting together in fourth grade, fourth grade. <laughs> so yes, Kate, I didn't bother to tell you this up front. We've been actually planning this. For <laughs> Eric is one of my oldest friends. We grew up in the same neighborhood. <laughs> so has, was he always like this? Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so so I just want to show you. He'll show you pictures, I think. So we've always so, had fun. So here's a photo from this is from 2016 where we went to Phoenix Raceway. This is after I moved out here. Eric flew out here. We went to the Phoenix race, and here we are on TV together, standing by in the NASCAR pre-race. <laughs> so for everyone who just looked at that, it does look like there's an earthquake happening in Phoenix. I can assure you there is not. There is not. Yes. No, I'm I'm jittery from just drinking a whole bunch of coffee already this morning. So here's a photo. I thought it was the drugs. Yeah. So Eric, uh, Eric's mom is, is a Purdue alumni as well. So he spent a lot of time on campus and, you know, like here's one from a basketball game when we were in college and, uh, my, my why don't you like edit those pictures in because I, I will your yeah, phone's I, not working yeah I know I but yeah and th there was a game I posted to my Instagram feed a few uh, uh you know back in in January from 2008 where um you know in, in that season Eric came up a, a handful of times I don't remember why you had so much free time that year what what, what was that like you you went to a few games <laughs> with us well um it was that second semester, um, if it was 2008, 
so I graduated in December. That's right. And so I was just hanging out at home. Um, right. <laughs> is I finished up school and then I think it was early February. I went out to New York to slide skeleton. That's right. <laughs> um, so I had some time just to hang out and have fun before doing that. I remember we, uh, you, you got, I believe we got you a student section shirt. We would sneak you into the student section for basketball games. And that, uh, yep. that, that included the, the one game where Purdue upset was like number 10 or number was, uh, Wisconsin. Yeah. And, and we rushed the floor. So one of my close and friends, my head made the paper on that one. Yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of my close friends who'd been going to Purdue games all his life, actually skipped the game to go see Jerry Seinfeld. And so Eric was sitting with me this game. <laughs> we ended up rushing the floor. It was like one of the most memorable games in Purdue history. It was, uh, it was hilarious. So, so sorry, kid. And uh, yes, I did mean to, to keep you in the dark about this one, but I thought this was, this was too funny to, to avoid. So anyway, so now that that's out. So Eric, you know, after you graduated, you, you know, you, you said you took a, a brief, career into into skeleton i want to talk about that real quick because i almost forgot about that for those that don't know explain what what skeleton is so skeleton is one of the three sliding disciplines they're all done on the same track made out of ice uh, you have bobsled which you have two and four person luge where you're on your back going feet first skeleton you slide down the ice head first down a bobsled course <laughs> <laughs> and depending on the track, you know, you may get 70, 80, 90 miles an hour. And, and there's nothing strapping you in. It's just basically you have the sled and your hands and you're holding on to it for dear yeah, life. More or less. <laughs> there's not too much to it. There is a, it's called a saddle. It helps hold you onto the sled and you need G-forces to keep you there. You understand why we're friends now? Oh, did we lose Kate again? Oh, he may have. I did. I, you know, she makes that face at me so often that I don't know if she was just holding it or if she froze up again. <laughs> oh, this is awesome. This is off to an awesome start. I don't know when we lost her. Uh, so, Kate, are you familiar with, with what skeleton is? Um, rumor has it. That it's when you go head first instead of feet first. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, you, you have to be insane to want to do bobsled. You have to be insane to do luge. So I think it's kind of kind of next level there. So I, I guess Psychotic? Yeah. Yeah. No, what's funny is skeleton is actually the safest of the three sliding sports, believe it or not. Sliding, head, sliding head first is the safest? Yeah, because the bobsleds are so top-heavy. They wow. can roll pretty easy if you come off a turn late. Um, they can kick over pretty quick. Um, yeah, and they're, they're kind of top heavy too, and their center balance is centered, so they can start to spin and um, kind of slide around much easier. But with skeleton, since we're on our stomach, you're on a pretty big sled anyway, and then you have your legs that you can toe drag a little bit to save yourself in a skid. So, I mean, if you, you know, if you have an accident in skeleton, it's like you end up in a body cast. If you have an accident on a bobsled, you could lose your head. So it's well, body you know, cast, <laughs> decapitation. 
you know, I did have a crash where I still have no idea how I walked out of the track. <laughs> it was a two, at least a two-story turn, hit the top of the roof, came down, hit the inside wall, ended up sliding through a couple turns feet first on my back. Um, so, you know, that was fun. And you're just like, where am I? Why did I do this? <laughs> you know, I, hey, I said I was good and I walked out and then at some point I'm like, how did I get down here? This was before concussion protocol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it was a fun experience to be able to do. I only got to do it for a couple of months because not too long after I ended up moving to Colorado and I just didn't have access to get to a track and starting to work and having to pay the bills. Um, kind of derailed that, but, you know, it was a great experience and at least something I got to do. I got a chance. So going back into the, the topic of swimming, you know, you've, you've coached club, you've coached high school, you've coached college. Like what's the, you know, obviously with, with the club in the high school, you're, you're essentially prepping the ones who are wanting to move on to college, but like, what are the real like differences as far as how the athletes go about like a training regimen and, and how often they practice, you know? Um, you know, that's such a hard answer is I've gotten the ability to coach all the different levels. When I started, I was coaching developmental level swimmers who are, we're just trying to figure out a way to get them to swim at 25. I remember one swimmer, I was in the water helping her swim and I'd have to double check, but she's swimming in college right now. So it's kind of fun to see that. Um, and the developmental level is just so much fun. Then you get the middle school kids that are just their personalities develop so far along um high school it's there's two different levels of swimmer you have the ones that just want to be a part of a team and try something different try something new so we had beginner level swimmers and then at the same time i had kids that were qualifying for the state meet we had top 16 finishers um as we got there others that were wanting to go on to swimming college. So a lot of the approach I took with my high school groups and even the high school team, it's, I wanted to try to help set them up or at least get that realization. Like, Hey, you know, if it's something that you want to do, there's going to be an opportunity somewhere to be able to take that. And I tried to tell them, I didn't want to push them to swimming college because I know it's not for everybody, but at least, try to get through and say, Hey, you know, don't be afraid to take the opportunity because you can always do it for one year and then say, you know, maybe this isn't for me or, you know, I'm really glad I did this that way. 10 years down the road, they don't go, man, why did I not do that? I really wish I had taken that opportunity. I didn't want them to have any regrets. And, you know, coaching college, it's a lot of the same things what I did with the high school kids, how, how can I coach and teach and relate it to lessons down the road? And, you know, we were talking, <laughs> this is going to be actually a really funny story. If I got a second for it, yeah, cool. I was talking to my kids at the beginning of practice one day out in Colorado. And one of my swimmers is saying, you know, high school homework is really stressful. And like, you know, you know, I get it. It's, what's important in their life at the time. And I start telling them, like, you know, um, at this point, I'm 
dating my um, fiance and I go, you know, what if at some point down the road we have kids? Like that's going to be super stressful of trying to figure out how do I take care of them and do all that. I'm sure as you're finding out now and little, so <laughs> that story ends up getting spread around. Oh so, no. <laughs> so we, I finished up my talk with them and just give some life lessons and points across. I hope I don't have my phone with me. So after practice, I go check my phone, just see if I've missed anything and I have all sorts of messages like, congratulations we're so happy for you and i'm like what like i have no idea what's going on so i call heather afterwards and she's like can you explain to me what all these text messages are that i'm getting and so it got out that we had gotten engaged and so i get home like well everybody thinks we are so what do you think and i actually didn't even ask like will you marry me i'm like are you sure you want to put up with me (laughs) so totally fitting of me to do so here what are we the sixth we're 13 days away from our wedding we had to postpone it last year and um i I still gotta mail a package out to you um (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, funny story, but that's like, that's what I try and do. It's these life lessons and compare things. And I guess it backfired or helped me out. I don't know. Move move the relationship along, I guess, is is the way to put it. You know, it's all the same things. I try and do the same thing with the college kids, talk with them, work with them. And in the pool, like for me, it's all the same. I have fun beyond the pool deck. I joke around. I don't have a job. I enjoy going in and just hanging out on a pool deck. I get to wear a t-shirt and shorts all the time. And I enjoy it so much that I don't see it as work. And just the interactions, even that's the biggest difference. Like the level of conversation I can have with a 10 year old swimmer versus a college level swimmer. That's the biggest part is in the water. There's a lot of similarities in what I do. It's instead of like two twenty fives trying to get a skill across for a six, seven, eight year old, we're doing 20, 25s with a college team where I'm looking for a specific skill or something that, Hey, this is what we're working on for that particular part of practice. So that part stays pretty similar. It's, just those interactions and just the depth of conversation um, really that I can do. I'm looking at you, Kate. What's your favorite sea animal? Favorite sea animal? Um, You know, I'd probably say seahorse. We have a, that's one thing that Heather and I collect. Um, Really like those, just they're so different and so much fun and very unique. I heard they use their tails to like propel them along by like wrapping around things and yep they'll wrap onto each other that way they'll wrap onto the plants to stay in place not get caught up in the currents I did not know that I learned something this morning so wow and you're unteachable yes I know that's what people say to me um so before we jump in to talk about uh, USA swimming in the Olympics like 
So say, you know, you have a kid who's eight, nine, 10 years old, they've developed an interest in, in competitive swimming. They think they want to, you know, focus on, you know, trying to get recruited E1, D3 doesn't really matter in this case. Like, what would you suggest to that kid to, to focus on, to make sure that they, you know, they prepare and, you know, exp- you know, get them their, uh, I guess the results seen by the, uh, recruiters. So, I mean, like I said earlier, I'm been in college coaching now for two years, so I'm still learning a ton. Um, you know, so much of it's going to vary from school to school and coach to coach. They may be looking for super particular things, um, depending on what level the program is at. If they're working at NCAA championships or maybe even conference championships, they may be saying, you know, I need this. I need a swimmer for this particular event. We lost our top 100 butterflyer. I have to have that thing next year. I have to replace that with somebody as faster, faster. So you may get set up like that. Um, as far as getting ready, a lot of it's going to be getting that exposure. There's NCSA, um, college swimming, um, be recruited so they can put themselves out there, build up their profiles. Um, academics is a big thing that schools are going to look at because when you get there, you have to maintain certain GPAs. Otherwise you're not going to stay eligible. The team has to maintain a particular GPA average. Otherwise um, I know some college basketball teams have gotten in trouble with that recently. Um, so you have to maintain all of that. Otherwise you're not going to be in the water and not helping out. Um, then as far as times, you know, the faster you are, the better. And there may be startup programs that look at different things. Um, we're looking at swimmers that even we're a small division three school. We have about a thousand students, but we're still looking at swimmers that are going to be top eight, top 16 at our conference meet. Um, we actually just um, heard from the college swimming coaches association one of our swimmers made second team all-american this year in the 200 breaststroke um so there's all sorts of just different levels going on there and you know at the end of the day as much as we want to give everybody an opportunity there is still going to be a degree of I, i mean i hate to say it but you're either fast or you're not so but it comes back into if you know you want to do something, set your goal and go after it. So would you say somebody's would be in a better position? Let's just say like, you know, you, you mentioned that, oh, I need somebody to fill this this particular event for me. Do you think a, a high school student is better off focusing on specializing, being just the top of their game at one particular event or you know, if, if they were a nine or a 10 in, in this event, instead focus on like, I'm going to be a, you know, a, a seven in the, the 50 free and a seven or an eight in the, you know, 100 backstroke or whatever, you know, that it is like, like, is it better to like diversify yourself or would you, you know, are you going to put yourself in a better position just being the best of the best in that one particular event? Um, you know, that 
it's a really tough call and it could be team dependent and just where they're at. Because when we get to our conference and NCAA meets, if you're going to, you have roster sizes and roster limits. So you can't, if you have a team of 50, you can't swim all 50 and have them all score. So it's totally possible. You look at your roster and say, you know, I have a person that can finish second in one race, but you get three individual events to swim. They may finish second, but have nothing else for their second and third and will score zero points. So in total, that's going to be 17. If you have another swimmer that I'm going to say they're going to finish in ninth place in three races, you get nine points for the ninth place finish. So they're worth 27 points. Mm. So even though somebody is much faster than one, I have another swimmer who's maybe a touch slower, but they are more valuable in what we're trying to do. Um, so that's where things, Oh, got a friend. The co-host. Um, so it just really depends on what that team's looking for. And there's more freestyle events. So being a sprint freestyler, you can fill up a lot more versus trying to specialize in a stroke. Um, is you have 50 free, 100 free, 200 free. Then you have freestyle in those same distances that you can swim on five relays. So there's a lot more opportunities if you're going to be solid in those events versus on that super fast and 100 butterfly and that's it. But chances are they're going to, if they're at that level, they're going to be just fine and probably be pretty solid in other events or strokes too. Thanks for listening to part one. Check back next week for part two of the episode where we talk about Olympic swimming, the increase in participation for competitive swimming after the Olympic season, water safety, and DJ and Eric share old stories about high school. Until then, check us out at stadiumscene.tv, at stadiumscene on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest, and TikTok, and at stadium underscore scene on Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.